Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we saw the first superhero movie of 2020, Birds of Prey, written by Christina Hodgson and directed by Kathy Yan. It stars Margot Robbie as the DC Comics villain Harley Quinn, featuring an ensemble cast including Ewan McGregor, Ella J. Basco, Journey Spollett-Bell and Rosie Perez. Praised for its action sequences, costumes and a lead performance from Margot Robbie, it's a fun addition to the franchise. So it's nice that like we're easing into the year with a superhero movie we both enjoyed and unusually, extremely unusually for this podcast, Morgan liked it more than I. I mean, I didn't think it was a masterpiece or anything, but compared to, uh, for instance, Marvel's output recently, uh, this was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. Obviously, I also hate Joker, so it's not like DC has been knocking them all out of the park. Well, the thing just- about the D- DC is now like allowing, or rather Warner Brothers is permitting more variety. Yes. And the reason that this made me think of the Marvel movies is that it's more structurally similar to them than Joker, which is obviously just completely its own unpleasant thing. And if this movie had been made by Marvel, it would have been such a made-by-committee type situation and all the personality would have been kind of leached out of it. And this felt like so specifically the product of just a couple of creative people. I mean, obviously they would have gotten notes and stuff from the studio, but it really felt like a movie and not just like a corporate product. I mean, it is that also, but it was more specific than most of these movies tend to be in a way that I found really, really satisfying. The action sequences were also notably better. Yes, absolutely. I mean, these people just know what they're doing and know how to do their jobs, which helps really helps. It's also intriguing in the case of the director specifically because like I was like oh I'd really like to watch her debut movie before I see this film Um, because Kathy Yan is is a Chinese American filmmaker Um, her first film actually came out in 2018 so like very recently it's not English language it's a film called Dead Pegs which is sort of based on a true story sort of satirical comedy movie about like dead pigs in a river in China (laughs) it's a pretty esoteric topic you know and she's definitely not an obvious choice for an American blockbuster kind of film and she was clearly a great choice for this movie because she did a fantastic job but you cannot watch Dead Pigs online you cannot it is not available on a streaming service it was never released as far as I know in Britain or the US I maybe that'll happen now but um this movie is just like a straightforward kind of combination of action and comedy it's really stylish like they've really got the characters down and I think crucially it's produced by Margot Robbie like she is the person who got this team together and spearheaded the project and made sure that it was like correct for this character because she understands the appeal of the character which is definitely not the case for quite a lot of this type of film like superhero movies and franchise movies in general and specifically in the case of Margot Robbie's first movie as Harley Quinn, which was Suicide Squad, which was a piece of shit, really sexist. She was by far the most popular element of that movie. When that film came out, I just had like the amount of internet traffic 
you got for any kind of Harley Quinn stuff. <laughs> like I just had to write about like Harley Quinn nonsense for ages because you were just like, people keep clicking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like she was just, she was really good in that role. But like after I saw this movie, I kind of went back and watched a clip from Suicide Squad and it's very easy to see the stylistic difference. Her performance is even different, but like it, people have talked a lot already, the just the absence of the male gaze in this film is even more glaring when you watch even a trailer for Suicide Squad, which is just like drenched in misogyny and so ugly and stupid. And this is, I mean, it's not exactly like complex feminist themes. It's a breakup movie about her leaving a shitty boyfriend and like forming a girl gang and learning to respect her friends and go it alone you know it's it's not treading near territory but it does it well and it's like a humane story about fun and entertaining women so the oscars were last night as we record this and this came up briefly we were chatting the people i had over and they were surprised to hear i had liked it and someone asked about suicide squad it was like oh did you did you guys talk about suicide squad on the podcast and was sort of asking in relation to this and i was like Yes, I have seen that. It is one of the worst films I have ever seen in my life. And this is not related to it in any way. So, like, do not concern yourself. If you want to go see this, don't be afraid that it's, like, tainted by Suicide Squad, right? I don't remember that movie at all, except that it was horrible. But it, like, this is so obviously, you know, tangentially con connected to that. But it's so totally divorced in a way that was refreshing to me. And they clearly were like, we're just not dealing with that. Yeah, And I remember... Margot Robbie in that I remember thinking like well she's better than everyone else here and she's doing what she can but I don't remember being wildly impressed by her maybe if we went back and looked at the tape you know fans loved her it's like the first proper live action depiction of a character who's been like depicted in a really wide variety of ways kind of like the Joker and Batman both have although she's a character that was invented in like the 90s but this character has such a cult following and she's really like nailed a particular interpretation but in terms of like the attention paid to these two movies. I don't know how much more money like Warner Brothers spent on the promo for Suicide Squad, but that film was like the biggest film of the year in terms of promo. I really cannot overemphasize how, like there were like Marvel movies coming out that year, which are better known. I don't remember which ones, but like Suicide Squad had the most hype, the most people Googling it, the mo most people talking about it in social, social media. And by comparison, Birds of Prey it's kind of a non-entity, you know? It's got, like, the same amount of coverage you'd expect for, like, a random blockbuster coming out in February, almost. Like, people love Harley Quinn, and there's a lot of women who are fans of superhero movies that are kind of talking about this film, but it's kind of in the context of it, like, not receiving enough attention. And I'm like, this should be getting more attention than Suicide Squad because it's better. <laughs> well, there was some there were some reports going around before it came out about the studio was worried about it, blah, 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 blah. And it's clearly not that they were worried about it because of the quality. I mean, maybe they didn't like it because they're men, but whatever. But like, they just don't understand how to market things about women. Yeah. Evidently, because they didn't market it very well and it's not making a ton of money. So... I think the title might also be a problem. Because it's like... Yes. Because it's not called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. It's called Bar Birds of Prey and then like the whole thing is like, oh, Birds of Prey and the fantabulous like emancipation of harley quinn which is like just no although do you really think that people who care that much about harley quinn are gonna like not know what this movie is based on the title and no, your average I mean, person doesn't know who harley quinn is i mean it's not a great title but i don't think her name is the issue i don't really know what the solution is there i'm yeah. bad at titles but um i don't think they've done a good job advertising it i don't think i've seen ads in the subway which are normally everywhere 
And it's just, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's been an ubiquitous presence at all. I think they were afraid of it. And part of what I found so appealing about it, I was kind of watching it and I was like, it's kind of wild that this movie is like a mainstream studio. Like, she does a lot of bad stuff in this movie that isn't, they don't attempt to, like, whitewash it or turn her into a good person. I mean, she has, like, there's a positive arc to her emotional story in this, but there's not a sense of, like, everything has to turn out well or, like, she has to become good because that's not what the character is. That's the whole point. Yes. And, but, like, the actual content of the film, I saw this several days ago. I wish I could remember more specifics, but it is genuinely kind of, like, gross at times and weird in a way that these movies just really rarely are. Something like Joker was attempting to be really edgy and was just boring. And again, this wasn't like the edgiest movie I've ever seen or anything, but it felt more sincerely like out there and strange than most of these films are in a way that I genuinely like very much appreciated and was struck by. Like Deadpool is much more extreme, you know? And I mean, obviously there's like the fact that it's a woman makes a really big difference, but I feel like because Deadpool has already come out and has already been R-rated and has already done like a lot of, you know, potty humor and sex stuff and like hyper-violence and having a really morally ambiguous hero, they've got that. And then with Harley Quinn, the DC side of Warner Brothers in terms of like merchandise and stuff, I think they've got an Oscar, they've got this like big oscar kind of actress, Margot Robbie, who's like pushing the project forward, but they also know it's a really lucrative product because Harley Quinn is the most popular DC character after Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Like, she's just huge. Right. I mean, I haven't seen Deadpool, but a lot of what felt kind of surprising to me about this movie was that it was a female character. Oh, for sure. Who was doing these things. Yeah. Which is highly, highly unusual. And I mean, there's scene right at the beginning where like she like jumps on someone's legs at a club where he's got them like propped up on the table and just like breaks his knees. I guess maybe I just have like a more blase ap- attitude because I'm like, this is the Harley Quinn brand. And I guess I'm just aware that Harley Quinn is so fucking popular. <laughs> like she's so popular. <laughs> but like in a movie like this that gets released wide by a studio for mass consumption, that is not a standard. Because I've seen, I see movies depicting all kinds of shit, and I'm not, like, scandalized by stuff, right? And I didn't find the violence in this particularly gratuitous, with the exception of one thing that Ewan McGregor and his buddy do, which we will discuss later, that was too gross for me. But um, it was just the way the movie depicted it was such a sort of, like, yep, and we're moving on along to the next thing. And not just the violence, but her general, like, attitude, which, again, I get is the character, but I have not seen that in this kind of movie before and they felt very committed to it in a way that I really appreciated and I found the writing of the screenplay like the overall arc of the film is pretty standard but the detail of the writing was what I found most appealing about it there are just little bits and pieces of things that made her feel much more real to me because they clearly put so much thought into it I liked all the little bits where she does like psychobabble, like where she's psychoanalyzing people because that could so easily have been one of those things where it's like, oh, we're just reminding you that like the sexy girl's smart too. But it's like they did it in a way that worked and it's kind of self-aware of her backstory. And it is a running joke within like other Harley Quinn content because obviously her backstory is that she was like a psychiatrist who was working at Arkham Asylum and then fell in love with the Joker and he seduced her and like 
she went mad, <laughs> as do all right. Batman villains. <laughs> yeah. And, like, she befriends, in, <laughs> befriends, kidnaps a, you know, young child at one point in the movie and then kind of befriends her. And that was, by the way, also, like, this reminded me a lot of Deadpool 2 because that is basically the premise of Deadpool 2 and it's a similar kind of dynamic. I was reminded of Iron Man 3. Yeah. Which has, I mean, this is not a new no, thing. No, of course. You know, you, know, you get but, the kid and you get like the edgy adult. <laughs> right. I I just thought the writing of that was done really well because they both soften her a bit because she likes this kid, but the kid feels quite distinct and she doesn't soften enough that she's all of a sudden just like a sweet lady who loves children. Yeah. <laughs> like she's still kind of sharp edged. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, was really entertained by it. And I, again, appreciated that it felt like it had been made by people who had specific ideas about these characters and the way they wanted them to be and the way they wanted the movie yeah. to look. And we'll talk more about the visuals in a minute. The kid was interesting, like, in the context of sort of the comic book backstory. Because, I mean, I feel like these characters are obviously incredibly important to comic book fans, but apart from Harley Quinn they had a lot of leeway to just play around because most people are not like, I know who Huntress is. Like, I am a comics fan. All I could tell you about Huntress is that her name is Huntress. Like, I've never read yeah. any of the, like, Birds of Prey comics. Um, I've never watched the TV show. Like, Cass Kane, the pickpocket girl who is kind of kidnapped slash befriended by Harley Quinn, that character is basically made up for the movie. Like, the character Cass Kane is a long-established Batgirl character. Um, she's one of the many kids that, like, Bruce Wayne semi-adopts, and her, her personality in the comics is extremely different. Um, she's, like, really seriously traumatized. Maybe she has, like, mutism or some, some element of, like, her upbringing. Uh, like, maybe she had, like, an abusive parent who, like, didn't allow her to speak or something. So there's, like, a disability angle there that was removed from this film but like they completely rewrote the character because that wouldn't really have fit within the concept i know there's been like quite a lot of pushback from fans who are upset because this birds of prey movie didn't have barbara gordon who is like basically the most famous superhero character who's a wheelchair user i like i completely understand why people are pissed with that because like she is central to the birds of prey brand but at the same time, I kind of didn't feel like this was a Birds of Prey movie. Like, it wasn't a superhero movie. It was a supervillain movie about Harley Quinn. And the Birds of Prey team kind of formed at the end. So if they'd given it a different title, I think that, I don't know, it's complicated. Yeah, I mean, there's no team up until the last 15 minutes. Yeah. And then Harley's the like, these guys are heroes. I don't give a shit about that. Right. <laughs> and if they do a sequel, like then you have a different dynamic yeah. in, at play, right? So we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, the supporting characters are not, the writing isn't as strong as for Harley, which makes sense. But I thought the actors all did, I mean, the supporting women we're talking about in this yeah. sort of you know group. I thought the actors did a very good job. Um, Rosie Perez plays a cop who's having some issues and that character again is sort of a nothing in terms of the writing but rosie perez is just so good that it she's always enjoyable to watch uh journey smollett bell does a really really good job as this woman who gets sort of forced into being the driver for the baddie yeah. who i thought she was she was later. really good at sort of um i mean this is gonna this is gonna make it sound like she's in the background but i thought she was really good at background acting so there's a lot of scenes where she yes. has to basically like react to stuff um, and she was, yeah, she was just really good at that. And also kind of crucial to this type of movie is you just have to like 
seem cool <laughs> and yes. she seemed cool um and then huntress who is played by mary elizabeth winstead i oh. feel like people would maybe assume that she had a bigger role she actually had like the smallest role of the main women and i just loved her because like it was a role that didn't need to be bigger like she was a one note character the joke was that she was just this sort of parody level stereotype of like a gruff revenge anti-hero and she did that in the space of like 10 lines and i was like i love this i don't need a spin-off for this character she's great i feel because i feel like black canary journey small bell's character you can expand her in a sequel huntress is like perfect in that little thing that you've given her and the looks as well were great yeah well let's talk about the the costume the looks <laughs> just fantastic like who did the costumes actually we should have the name yeah so the costumes are by erin benach who has a really interesting cv <laughs> like she's not done like a movie that's like this before but she did a star is born <laughs> in 2018 love it Love um, which it. is wild and she's done films where you can kind of see where the tra- trajectory is so like i think she worked she she was the costume designer for drive and for the neon demon which i haven't seen oh, and for the place beyond the pines a lot of sense yeah so it's like she's yeah. got oh blue valentine as well which i've not seen but like she's done movies where it's like they've got sort of a punchy contemporary aesthetic and there's a lot of like bright colors and they're urban and maybe not like completely stylized but like she knows how to really do something where it's like not necessarily like oh this is like super realistic but it's really like making a character pop and i feel like the ultimate example of that is the drive jacket (laughs) but in this it's like every single character is wearing the drive jacket because you can put like you can put harley quinn in anything because she her character is that she is just like really ridiculous and zany and clownish and she loves sort of fun sexy outfits but like i said earlier you could basically do like a whole academic class on the female gaze versus the male gaze between this and Suicide Squad because you can see the continuity of character with Harley Quinn but the way she's shot and like her body language and specifically her costumes are so different because she's still wearing costumes where it's like hot pants and a and like a crop top or whatever but it just looks it looks like oh she's decided to wear hot pants and a crop top or she's decided to wear one of these like absurd like club outfits at 11 a.m. And it's like, of course you have. It's completely legit. She looks great. She looks like she's having fun. And the same goes for like Black Canary's outfits are like very sexy in a very different way. But it it just feels like they're comfortable. And there's also a really great interview with the director, Kathy Yan, where she just sort of talks about how she wanted the actresses to be physically comfortable, which is a conversation that like never happens in a film like this because like you sometimes hear it's like oh yeah we wanted the actresses to be comfortable so we put them in like normal clothes but in this it's like we know these characters are going to be wearing like some pretty out there stuff so we want them to be wearing costumes that are like that but like your tits not gonna pop out (laughs) Um, and you've got like and also the kind of the contrast with huntress is like huntress is wearing an analog to the type of costumes that this character would wear in the comics so it's like it is a midriff bearing assassin outfit made of like black pvc or whatever but it's not like a sort of feminine sexy outfit right it's like a it's like an outfit where she's presumably wearing a sports bar or something it makes her look quite flat-chested it's still like ridiculous because it's not actually practical but it's sort of a cartoon interpretation of practical and it looks kind of soft butch 
you really do have this variety among the main cast that really illustrates their characters really well and they're so fun to look at and like crucial to this movie is that it's it's like much more cartoonish and I think the the two films that I like compare this to the most are Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy and I think tonally it's like very much in the same ballpark. I think it's better than both of those two franchises by far. Um, but something that I think is really missing from Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy is costume design. Because even though Guardians of the Galaxy is like praised for the visuals, it's all in the sort of really brightly colored CGI space stuff. And the costumes are generally just the same as all Marvel costumes. Whereas in this, it's like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, the thing I loved was she wears this outer garment with all of these sort arms. of yeah <laughs> which is very bird-like i mean making a reference and it is so it pops so much and it is so much fun and it is like nothing you would ever see anyone wearing outside of some sort of you know fancy dress situation but it is perfect for her and it is perfect for the sort of slightly outre aesthetic of the movie and it is part of what makes watching it so fun is that you're getting this visual burst of color. And the direction, we should say, is excellent. Yes, let's talk about the action scenes. <laughs> yeah. Great action. Panache. Matthew Libatique, who is a great, great cinematographer, who also did A Star is Born, incidentally, but also like Black Swan and many other things, was a cinematographer on this. Normally the cinematographers on these movies are not like that <laughs> and but uh with this like there's one she goes into a police station at one point to find this child who she winds up kidnapping and she's got this gun thing where she's um shooting out like smoke and also confetti and it's all sort of blue and red tinted which is her color scheme and it just looks so good like you people could just think about what you want to have the film look like and the effect you want to create in the audience like it's obviously not easy but clearly these people were just like we want this movie to look good let's do it and the effort that they put into that obviously with their talent too like it just paid off as opposed to so many of these other yeah. films it looks so dull well something like what i compared it to in my review was music video direction like lady gaga yes. music videos because that's this looks like someone made a feature film of telephone right but crucially, because there's there's a lot of like music video directors who then go on to become film directors and it's like their step up. But it doesn't always work because it's like people who have like amazing visual style not necessarily going to translate to direction, which is very clear in the case of the guy who directed that Lady Gaga video and several others because he made a film last year starring Mads Mikkelsen of all people, a guy who will make any old shit apparently, even though he's a genius. And it was appalling. It was this horrible like John Wick knockoff, like misogynist, disgusting assassin movie. Looked great. <laughs> but like... Kathy Yan clearly has this skill for like visual, like, you know, she's very visually talented and understands the correct tone for this movie, as did the cinematographer, but like also, you know, emotions and all that stuff, thoughts, themes, all those things you need. But like in terms of the action scenes, there's just such a kind of fluidity to the way they shot all these hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes. And this is something Morgan and I complain a lot about a lot with superhero movies, which is that either you get these action scenes which are predominantly done like by the cgi studio so it's like there's a lot of 
moving parts and it's the director oftentimes who is not themselves very experienced with working with CGI so it's like it comes out with just these very boilerplate sort of things exploding in urban places and then like someone does a quip sort of action scenes or things where the stunt choreography is obviously great because it's done by you know high quality choreographers but then the cinematography and editing are just terrible you know because they're just sort of shaking all over the place and editing too fast and that kind of thing and with this it's like you will get these long like several seconds long fluid shots following a particular character or like if it's a group fight you have like following different elements of the fight so you can see everything that's happening and it's just like really attractive to watch and it's like thank you you have correctly shot basically kind of like a martial arts movie but like the film isn't especially showcasing like really impressive fighting skills like they've got each of the characters each of the actors are doing like character-based fighting styles like they've got that personality down do you remember that scene where it's just like when harley like really like lets rip with a baseball bat on someone yeah which is obviously her signature move but i was like this is great like i could see everything that's going on (laughs) And it was a really good sort of like, you know, Margot Robbie's actually doing her own action scenes moment. Yeah, they all did feel really specific to themselves without being, I mean, obviously they're unrealistically accomplished fighters because it's a superhero movie, but it wasn't like a martial arts movie, as you say, in that sense that they were like crazy out there with that level of skill, but they just felt specific in a very satisfying way. And it did feel like they were doing it, even though obviously in many cases they were not. And that just makes watching it more fun because it feels more contiguous with the story. Robbie, we haven't really spoken much about her performance. We said she was good at the beginning, but she's just so fucking good in this movie. For this type of role, right? It's like she is the equivalent of like Robert Downey Jr. being cast as Iron Man. She is perfect. She understands the character. She is perfectly suited. She like has the right look, which I realize is just like attractive blonde women, but like she understands how to do facial acting with that type of makeup, you know, because a lot of this is like her doing these really extreme cartoonish facial expressions with this really extreme cartoonish makeup. And it always just looks so good. And like you could just freeze frame on any of it and it could be just a shot from a comic. And there's a lot of nuance to this character, right? Which is why she's so popular because it's not just this really simplistic thing of like, oh, girls want an anti-hero too. It's like a very complex type of anti-hero because, you know, she's really funny and quirky. She's also vulnerable. Her whole backstory is tied up in being in and or escaping an abusive relationship she's very morally ambiguous but like she's got more sort of friendliness than the other popular villains because there's it's kind of like professional wrestling where you have like heel characters who are like the fun one and for a lot of people that's joker but joker the whole point of joker is like he doesn't have a vulnerable side and with this and with the recent um like adult animated series for harley which covers very similar territory it's kind of a story where you juggle the fact that she just really enjoys being a bad person and doing crimes with understanding that she can like have friendships too she can have friendships (laughs) yeah complex stuff (laughs) i was just so happy for her that she had this great role which she you know made for herself obviously she was cast at suicide squad but she made this movie happen like 
with her own yeah. gumption. Because, I mean, I thought she was talented, but this was the movie where I was like, oh, she's really, really good. Because she's just had trouble with casting, I think, because she's too Yeah, attractive. I mean, she is, like, the most conventionally attractive, like, Barbie doll-looking person in the world. And she yeah. just repeatedly, like, I mean, the fact that this year she's a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Bombshell are, like, her two roles this year. And it's just like, okay, you know. <laughs> right. And the things she did to try to get away from that and she got nominated for an Oscar for it so it clearly worked to some degree was I, Tanya, and I don't think she's bad in that but I think that movie is really awful and I think she is like horrifically miscast in it so a lot of people were really impressed because they were like oh she's playing against type whereas I watched it and I was like this is ridiculous <laughs> this is just preposterous Tanya Harding does not look like that and I, she couldn't she just couldn't convey what she was supposed to convey to me and the movie's bad, in my opinion. So it was just, like, not... I, I admire her for putting the effort in to get that movie made, but I thought it was a really bad match of actor and material. And so many of her other roles, basically all of them, are all just like, it's a hot lady. <laughs> You're like, cool. I mean, I feel... I think my introduction to her was, like, that stupid Adam McKay movie where it's like, here's... We're going to tell you about the economy. And her role was to, like, be in a bath and be like, see, I can explain to you because I'm sexy what the economy is and I was like I've never seen Margot Robbie in anything before and I am feeling bad for her because this joke is sexist and dumb <laughs> yes I mean I also was infuriated by that she didn't have to no do I it, mean completely so... I, I, I I don't feel I would never in a million years frame her as like this like victim of this whole situation because people choose their own roles she's definitely been typecast but she also has a lot of clout and this movie really does prove that like she knows what's up with this character so like everyone is complex i don't know much about margot robbie on a personal level you know i mean i think i when i interned at focus features in college like a decade ago the thing that i took away from that the most because i was reading scripts every day with so many screenplays they had coming in and they're just all bad yeah they're just all really bad and this was when focus was like it's at its height of being like the indie distributor in the industry like they were a24 now at that point and all the stuff they were getting submitted with agents like these were not unsolicited i mean they were unsolicited but they weren't unagented was just like garbage and so that gave me a lot of perspective on what actors have to deal with and also like everyone is now familiar with like the way female characters are described on like the page one of the script it's always like yes. you know <laughs> a vivacious topless 28 year old like it's always, always nonsense right and so even hot white male actors age 38 which is like the peak right it's hard for them to find good stuff because there just isn't anything and so if you're a woman even a beautiful white woman it's just really really difficult to find anything and she as i said i think is so gorgeous in such a traditional way that it actually has hurt her i mean obviously it's better than being you know extremely unattractive by traditional standards because then you just wouldn't get any jobs but i think it like most of her roles if you look at them are just like hot lady because that's all that they can sort of conceive of her as and so she has founded a production company she produced Titania she produced this she clearly is like well I need to do it myself because none of you will pay attention to me unless I do this in the way I want to and I admire that hugely and I think it's completely paid off in this movie because I think she is super super interesting she uses her own abilities as an actor in a really effective way and her star power and her appearance which if you're an actor is part of what you're doing in a way that just works so well 
and her accent in this. Sounds great. Yeah, I was I was really taken with her. I thought her performance was the best thing in the movie. Oh, for sure. Easily. And I like the movie as a whole, as I said, but it if that performance doesn't work, the movie doesn't work at all because she's just so unbelievably charismatic that you're sort of carried along through the whole thing by her. And it really felt obviously she's like she's been nominated for multiple Oscars. She's extremely famous. It's not like she's not already a star, but this felt star making in the sense that I was like, oh, you are like a movie star. The other really famous person in this movie uh, is Ewan McGregor. Not as successful, yeah. I would say. I just realized we've literally not explained what the fuck this movie's about, but like, whatever. We're tired. Premise, you know, it's about everyone's looking for like a diamond. It's it's a MacGuffin. It's com- it's just a MacGuffin. There's a MacGuffin, MacGuffin and the good guys are all the women who like don't know each other at the beginning and then team up. And then the bad guy is Ewan McGregor, who is kind of thematically, I mean, he's not like in a relationship with Harley, but like thematically he's kind of taking a same sort of political role as the Joker in that she like has issues after her breakup and is sort of almost attached herself to like the next shitty alpha male to sort of protect herself almost. And it's like this crime boss, Roman Sionis or Black Mask. And he's just, you know, he's this sexist asshole crime boss and he wants this diamond and he will kill anyone who's in his way to get there. And his sidekick is Victor Zaz, who is played by Chris Messina. The thing that Morgan was saying earlier is that they like fully tear off people's faces. Like they surgically cut off people's faces if they cross him. This character, like when I was watching the movie, I was like, this is going to be really divisive. He's clearly gay. He's like a very obviously queer coded character to the point where it's like, this is very explicit. He and his sidekick are like a couple and he's very sort of theatrical and fashion-y, which is what you would expect from like any villain in this movie. Like he's a good fit for Harley and definitely some people were like he's so fun and like when I was watching the movie I was like he's pretty fun and then after watch I watched the movie I was like he's not fun enough they've not really lent into <laughs> it but also just the whole situation around him is absolutely a homophobic stereotype some people are like this is really cool and other people like I've seen this from gay men and from like both sides of this debate being like this is just falling foul of negative gay stereotypes the movie does actually feature other queer characters harley quinn and rosie perez's character renee montoya are both queer like renee montoya is a lesbian in the comics in the movie they briefly mention that ali wong is her ex there is a very very tiny moment in the initial like cartoon intro sequence that reveals that harley had an ex-girlfriend i missed that this is the thing right because i i noticed the moment where harley's cartoon ex-girlfriend appeared on like for like half a second i didn't actually i wasn't sure if ali wong was rosie perez's ex or someone else's ex i had to check afterwards so these moments were so tiny that one of us missed both of these i mean the rosie perez and ali wong thing seemed quite obvious yeah to me because they're like having fights in a like and they say that's her ex yeah there are a lot of people missed that i actually was like not sure because i was like i kind of misheard the line where it said that she was her ex and i was like it must be her ex because yeah. i know that renee montoya is gay and they've been arguing but also i had to go and like google it i mean it's done very yeah. badly but i didn't find it confusing personally the thing with harley i mean i don't know what the fuck was in that cartoon that was supposed to signal to us that she- i mean i just sort of assumed 
in my head because that's how she seems. But there was nothing that said to me textually that. that I mean, was I thought it was definitely gayer that she was doing roller derby than that she had a cartoon girlfriend for one second. One hundred percent. It's about her like getting over the Joker, kind of this movie, but it's mostly not really about her in romantic no. situations. Like that's not the theme, and I kind of oh, like. Yeah, I mean, you. But also, you don't want a movie about someone getting over an abusive ex to be about them hooking up with someone else necessarily like for the most part it has to be like you know the healing process right so like next movie that would be interesting but that was sort of like fine the stuff with rosie perez i thought was handled poorly because it was so sort of just like we'll reference it one time (laughs) like sure but ewan mcgregor i just was like what are they doing i mean i know what they're doing but like why are they doing it i found him bad in it for one thing. Like, I thought his performance was unsuccessful. I love Ewan McGregor. I I cherish him. A wonderful actor. But I don't find him menacing. Which doesn't mean he couldn't do it. But I don't think I have ever seen him in anything where he gives off that vibe. And I feel like in order to do it successfully, he would have to have really, really good writing. And this was I mean, for menacing, what I think it should be is... Because I feel like he he can definitely do sort of campy stuff. And this was campy and also directly, like, camp. But, um... I feel like in order for him to be menacing, it would have to be playing closer to when he's being charming. Because I feel like if he was playing like charming and evil, that would be legit because he has so much charm. But here, it was like this whole situation where like, on the one hand, it felt to me, unlike the many, many blockbusters where there was like a coded gay villain, coded queer villain, and it's like kind of subtle and it's like spreading invisible propaganda. This was so visible that I was like, this is kind of like a specific direct portrayal of like a really privileged white gay man who is a misogynist and like does what he wants. And I I feel like that's like better in some ways, but also at the same time, they've now got this situation where you can have a movie with a bunch of queer characters, but you can only have the really stereotypical person if they're like a serial killer villain. And then everyone else is like, it's too subtle. Yeah, they needed to right? like, like go gonna do in this. one direction or the other, you know? Because Harley's also bad. Yeah. So this would actually be the movie where they could have pulled that off in a way that I think could have worked. But he would have had to be super, super campy in like a very, very fun way, I think would have been the way to possibly make that successful. And that is literally the DC brand because like fucking Gotham, the TV right. show and like Jim Carrey in the 90s, like there is a long and storied right. history of this. Burton's Batman movies. I mean, like, this, yeah, you know, and he's just kind of flat. And I think Chris Messina, who plays the boyfriend, who is definitely a boyfriend, even if they don't specifically call him that, they call him his BFF. I was like, yeah, that's not what's happening yeah. here. I think he's actually great in it because he's playing this sort of like psychopathic And he's like obsessed who, like, with you. The... Right. Which is an easier role actually because you just play the sidekick and he is fucking scary. Like that guy, dead eyes, he will kill you. And he clearly is, again, like obsessed with this guy. And I thought he was very good. But Ewan McGregor is just not, the... he was just not doing enough and the script didn't give him enough to do. And They've got this couple situation. It starts out with the cutting the faces off where I was just like, you know what? I This is not like, please. No. It's also and like, I mean, at the end, it, the, the film is so cartoonish. 
in general, I would have preferred the movie to be slightly more cartoonish, but also like that felt like so much more extreme than the other stuff. I was like, we don't really need to cut yes. people's faces off. Like, <laughs> no. And it felt like a shortcut to be like, these guys are really bad. Just, just so you know, they're really bad. They cut people's faces off. And I was like, okay. But at the end, all the women are sort of gathered together and Chris Messina shows up and they wind up killing him. And they're like, oh my God, Sionis is going to be so mad because you killed his BFF. No comment. And then the, he just never finds this out. And then he winds up dying in a different oh, situation. I didn't notice that. And so they don't ever even... What if they had a scene and then they cut it because Warner Brothers was like, you can't make it that they're actually gay? It seems <laughs> highly likely to me that that occurred. Yes. So it's just, it's really yeah. tedious. I mean, I feel like I the important takeaway from this is that the response from people who are like really into Harley Quinn is that people, I generally, I think people are just like super hyped. A lot of people really, really identify with this character. A lot of people are really happy with the queer content that made it in which in a different way from just the concept of like oh harley's canonically queer because of this tiny moment that most people didn't even notice it's like that's kind of less meaningful than when they have the whole roller derby thing it's like first of all roller derby inspired choice <laughs> for harley perfect <laughs> perfectly selected <laughs> but there's just like incidental characters where it's like you have a bunch of like other roller derby people hanging out and i'm like yeah, that, that is the that is the roller derby girls. Like that is the haircuts. <laughs> that's like the voices, the vibe, the body language. I'm like, it is twelve billion times gayer than when like one of the Russo brothers like showed up in Avengers to play like Pete Buttigieg <sighs> Part One. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I mean about the film just kind of having a personality and feeling sort of clued into certain things in a way that I found really appealing. Because this, the Ewan McGregor stuff, I obviously have no idea, but that felt to me where, like a place where perhaps the studio was given notes in a way that was unhelpful. Whereas some of the other areas, it felt like they pretty much left them alone to do what they want. The best thing in this movie is the sandwich. Harley's obsession with her breakfast yes. sandwich. <laughs> Amazing. And that's just so random and weird in a way that was so entertaining. And someone thought of that and they put it in a movie. It kind of overlaps with what I was saying earlier with sort of the thing where she does psychobabble and like they make it work in a way that doesn't seem like they're being like, oh, the bimbo's got a brain too. Because with this, there is this like very long running trope in both media and in real life where it's like, oh, when a skinny girl has like an appetite and it's like their whole speech in Gone Girl where you talk about how like, oh, these guys expect you to be like the fun one who can eat a pizza and still stay a size two. And with this film, they once again, they avoided that situation because it's like there was just depictions in this movie of just women having appetites and like just eating in a diner. I've seen people kind of comparing it to the feeling of like the nightclub bathroom feeling where like a bunch of drunk girls are just like yelling about how much they love a bunch of strangers. And that was this. Yes. And like there was just drinking <laughs> and eating and hanging out. And it was like, yeah, because like we're people. <laughs> but the sandwich was the best the sandwich thing. Was this was running joke. And yeah, so I just, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it. I'm bummed it's not making more money. Um, again, I don't think it's like, I mean, it's like B plus for me, probably. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I it was very, very solid entertainment and compared to most films like this, uh, much better, in my opinion, than average. All four superhero films coming out this year are directed by women. 
I did not know that, and I am truly all shocked. four. I, this is the wow. year because they've all been fucking in the pipeline for a million years. So it's like there's this, <laughs> there's Black Widow, which you know, whatever. Black Widow's coming out. There's a small chance it might be good. Who knows? Black Widow's coming out. Wonder Woman two, and then the Eternals, which I'm the most curious about. Do you know when that movie is coming out, Gabby? Like November. It is coming out the Friday of election week in the united states so that is either going to be a really good time or everyone will be really depressed on that cheery cheery note (laughs) we have an oscars reaction podcast up on patreon now so if you want to hear our thoughts about this historic night for the academy awards they actually did a correct thing amazing you can head over to patreon and subscribe Next week, we will be discussing the new Pope and the young Pope. This is really an excuse to talk about the young Pope, which we never talked about on this podcast. The HBO show from Paolo Sorrentino. The second season is not as successful as the first season, which starred Jude Law as the young Pope. That's pretty much the pitch. (laughs) Um, The new season has John Malkovich as the new Pope. It really, very self-explanatory situation here. But uh, the young Pope is one of my favorite works of art i think literally it's also one of those things where you can very much get the gist from episode one um obviously as always like i know loads of listeners just listening to us without watching the stuff and that's chill we love to have listeners but like if you can just watch like the first episode of the young pope you will really get the vibe and oh it's it's real tasty it's a juicy just ziggy delicious morsel love the young pope oh my god it's yeah it is one of the most i mean we watched the whole thing together at you're in your parents' yeah. houses at Christmas a couple of years ago, and we're just like beside ourselves <laughs> the entire There's time. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's really true. The aesthetic experience is quite overwhelming. Jude Law is sublime, indescribable. We will try to describe him next week, but he is on another plane. Just and also, if you've not incredible. seen or really read much about the young Pope, we guarantee it is ag- aggressively different from what you think it is. <laughs> yes. Everyone was comparing it and the two popes this year, just to, like joking memes or whatever, and, like, and I understand. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is appalling. No. So yeah, we'll get into the popes next week. Uh, this would be a great time for you to catch up. So Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find my work on the Daily Dot, and you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And I am on Twitter at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at Overinvested Pod. Our Tumblr is Overinvested Podcast. And our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.